Amen. So powerful. So rich. Worship. The, the opportunity to allow all of the distractions of life to be put to the side for, for but a few minutes of focusing on the worthy one and exalting him and in living and, and standing in a place of agreement of his worth, of his beauty, of his greatness, and just being able to in awe say, God, you are good. You are so good. What a joy it is to be here this morning. I love Summer at Antioch because we get to be all together. We get to worship all together, experience God all together, and hear from God's word all together. And I love this season that we're in. We'd love for you to stick around afterwards. We got some treats going on out in the courtyard, and it'd be a good time for us to continue to connect and, and be a family. My name is Andy. I'm the executive pastor here. And today we're going to be continuing our current sermon series called Eyes of Faith. And as we do that, um, I just wanted to take a moment to cast some vision again as to why we are doing this series. Back in April, our leadership team got together and we said, God, what do you have for us? What's the next thing that you want us to focus on? What's the next thing you want us to give ourselves to? And what we sensed God say was, I want you to continue to host the thing that I'm doing among you. I'm doing something here in, your, in, in the life of this church, and I want you to continue to make space for it to happen. I want you to continue to prioritize it. I want you to continue to, to live in a way to seek after it and to respond to me in a way that I would be compelled, that I would be in, invited, that I would be attracted to what I, I see in your community, that I would be drawn to you that I continue to do this thing that, that I'm doing. I, I don't know if you have heard, but we've seen some pretty dramatic salvation stories, some inner healing and uh, dramatic transformations. The prophetic ministry, intercessory prayer is alive like it's never been before in our community. And, and God is saying that there, there's something happening here and we, I want you to continue to make space, continue to focus on that and continue to live in a way that that would happen all the more. And the picture that we have is a, the picture of a cloud kind of rolling across the sky. And as the cloud is moving, it just kind of stops and it rests over us. And this, the, the cloud representing God's provision, representing his power, representing his presence, it wants, it's just hovering here. And it says, I want you to stay. And like the Israelites, they learn not to move unless the cloud moved. We too want to be a community that we learned, God, if you're not moving somewhere, we're not going anywhere. We want to stay right here, right now, if this is what you have for us. And we said, what better way to continue to, to make space, to continue to prioritize and host this thing was when to, to focus on seeing to it that the collective faith level of our community rises. Because faith is, is pleasing to God. God is attracted to faith. He sees faith and he is drawn to it. And so what if we as a community grew in our faith, were strengthened in our faith, became more resolute, more confident in our faith, not in only in God's ability to move in our lives, certainly he's powerful, but his desire to move in our lives, that he is eager to reveal himself to you and to you and to you. He wants you to meet with him. He wants to encounter you and our confidence and our trust and our belief and expectation of that rises, the water level rises, then we become an even more attractive place for God's presence to dwell. 
And so we have been in Hebrews 11 and we are recounting the stories of those uh, who have gone before us, the forefathers of faith who lived lives demonstrating an utmost confidence in God and God proving himself to be faithful time and time again. Because our hope and our desire is that we all walk away from this season of, I am so confident in who God is. I am so confident that God is good. I am so confident that God has the resources that I need for my problem. I am so confident that God is committed to me and to my journey and this life that he's called me to live. I am confident and I am sure, assured that the promises that he has spoken will come to pass. And I believe as we believe in God in that way, we will continue to see him do the things that he's been doing. And so this morning, we are going to continue in Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, uh, if you have uh, your Bible, you, you can go ahead and turn there. Um, we also put the, the scripture on the screen for you to read along. A couple of weeks ago, we saw that faith was expressed by Abel as Abel acknowledged that God was worthy of his, wor of his worship. And he ascribed great value to God and the offering that he brought to God. And his, God looked favorably on Abel's offering more than Cain, more than Cain's because Abel gave out of a genuine desire to see God exalted where Cain gave out of his surplus. He gave, he cared for himself first and then what he had left over, he gave to God. Abel gave before he took anything for himself. He said, God, you are worth my very best. Last week we saw with Enoch, faith was revealed. Pleasing faith was demonstrated as Enoch walked with God. He was one who, who walked and talked with God. And there's not a, actually a lot that's said about him, but what we know is that God was so pleased that he said, Enoch, you don't even need to be down there anymore. Just come on up here. Just be with me. We're gonna, we're gonna do this for all eternity. He was so pleased with Enoch's faith that Enoch was no more. And he now is forever uh, with the Lord. And this week, we're gonna see that faith at times in different seasons Faith is expressed through obedient action, obedient action. And so we're going to start in Hebrews 11, verse 7. We'll read that, and then we will then kind of use that as a launch pad to jump into the story uh, that, this, uh, that this is about. And we're going to be unpacking the story that is familiar uh, for many of us this morning. It's the story of Noah. So Hebrews 11, verse 7, this is what it says. By faith, Noah... When warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Let's now jump to Genesis 6, and we can see that story unpacked with greater detail. Starting in verse 5 of Genesis 6. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. And so the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord." This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. 
Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. And so God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood, make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. And this is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening a cubit high all around. Put a door on the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring flood waters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And you are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, every kind of animal, and every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. In verse 22, it says, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. This flood story then continues. I'm not going to read it all, but chapters 7 through 9, um, we see that Noah goes ahead and he obeys God, enters into the ark, brings the animals with him. The rains begin to fall from heaven. The springs from under the earth burst forth. The waters begin to rise. And the boat or the ark that Noah built uh, rises with it. It rises up to 20 feet above the highest mountain. Finally, the, the flood stops. The waters begin to recede. And Noah sends out a raven first and then, an, and then a dove to determine whether the land is ready for them to, to leave the ark. Ultimately, it is time for them to leave. Oh, Noah and his family, they, they exit the ark. And it says that Noah made a sacrifice, he built an altar and made a sacrifice to the Lord. And he gave thanks to God for preserving him and for selecting him and his family to be part of this recreative work, this regenerative work that God was doing in the earth. And then it said, God that made a covenant with Noah, a pledge to never again do what he just did. Never again to exercise judgment on the earth in this way by flood, to destroy all living creatures in this way. And that that pledge, that commitment, that covenant still stands today. It's called the Noahic covenant. God's promise to never demonstrate or exercise judgment like that again. And that covenant is not based on anything that Noah does or anything that anybody who came after Noah did or anything that we do. That's God's commitment to himself. I will never do that again. Now, I don't know about you, but when you read this, this story and, and see what, what's going on here, you feel a bit of heaviness. It's actually a, a little bit sobering. And, and this message today is really about, it's about Noah's faith and the faith that Noah demonstrated in trusting and believing God. But before I get there, I kind of want to address that heaviness for a moment. And we see it first there in, in, in verse 5. It says this, the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. This is probably one of the most sobering passages we see in scripture. When we see the 
the, this depiction of the depravity of the human heart. The inclination, which is the default setting, the natural desire to do what is wicked, to do what is ungodly, to do what is perverted, to do uh, what is unjust, to do what is violent, and to have that inclination to do that all the time. I read that passage about the nature of the world at this moment, and I'm sobered. I'm sobered by that. I'm sobered because this is Genesis chapter 6. This is Genesis 6. We only have to go back a few chapters and we see a world that God made to be good. And he declared and he put his hand of approval upon that. He said, this is very good. He made man and woman in his own image and he declared them to be the crowning jewel of all of his creative work. And in Genesis 3, but three chapters before this, before the flood, we see the serpent enter the story and persuade Adam and Eve to defy God to defy his authority and say, you don't need God. You don't need to listen to him and trust him and follow him and be submitted to him. You can decide for yourself right and wrong. And they were persuaded and they were convinced. And in that moment of decision against God, there became a fracture in the relationship between humans and God in the vertical relationship that then began to manifest immediately in horizontal relationships. And you see it happening in the garden. Adam and Eve, whose relationship was once marked by trust and by security, all of a sudden now became marked by shame and blame shifting. Genesis 4, jealousy, compar comparison, and murder. And now by Genesis 6, three chapters later, that level of brokenness in the relationship vertically had taken full form horizontally, that the only thing that human beings could think to do all of the time was to rebel against God and his created, created order. I'm, as I read that, I'm sobered. And I'm sobered not only because of what it was, but I'm sobered because when I look at the world around me, there are times when I think a similar description could be used to describe our world. And I, and I, and I don't say that from a place of, of judgment, I don't say that from a place of wanting to, to um, condemn. I just say that from my, just from observation. I look around me and I see a world where evil is so often championed as good, where I see perversion promoted. I look around me and I see a world that is bent on defying and resisting the only one who is qualified to have authority. I see a world that would actually much prefer counterfeit gods rather than the, the one true fountain of life. I'm sobered as I read it. And I'm sobered not only as I look out at the world, but I'm sobered as I think about my own heart. As I think about who I am apart from Jesus, about what I'm capable of, about the natural inclinations that I would have, the natural leanings that, that, I, would, that I would move towards my default setting apart from God's regenerative work in, in my own life. And I realize, wow, I actually am like that too. My goal this morning is not simply just to, to bring in this heavy cloud of, oh gosh, you know, we're, woe is me, we're sinful creatures. My desire is actually just to take a moment to allow that to sink in. Just to allow the soberness of what we're capable of, to allow the soberness of, of human fallenness just to sink in. Because, because I believe 
that the depth that we can really appreciate our own fallenness is the degree that to which we can revel and enjoy this and savor the amazing grace of God. Like the way, the degree to which I can realize, wow, that is the darkness of my own heart. That's the darkness of my world. It's the degree, degree that I can say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. He saved a wretch like me, a blind fallen person who runs towards the cliff. I run towards calamity. I run towards disaster. And yet he loves me and cares about me enough to intervene in my life and say, you know what? You are the sheep that has gone astray. I'm gonna go after you and bring you back. And Jesus came to the earth on a rescue mission for you and for me. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. So let the soberness sink in for a moment. We don't wanna gloss over passages like this. Let it sink in and then let it draw you to exuberant worship. Jesus, amazing love, immeasurable patience and goodness extended towards mankind. A God who is willing to say, you know what? I'm never gonna judge the earth again like I did at the flood. Instead, I'm going to exercise judgment not on all of you, but on my infinitely worthy, my infinitely innocent son so that you could be forgiven and set free and you can have a fresh start. You can have a new day. Jesus is our ark. We step into the ark. God's judgment is poured out and then we step out and it's a new day. I have new life. I have new freedom. I have new hope. Jesus is so good. That's not really what the message is about today. I had something else planned, but I wanted you to know that this is the gospel, okay? This is the gospel that we, that we, that we believe in, that we give our lives to. This is why we worship the way that we do, because, not because it's just the thing that you do on a Sunday, but we worship an amazingly generous a benevolent, patient, faithful God. Okay, back to Noah. All right. Okay, this message is about Noah's faith. And I wanna unpack, I wanna unpack his faith, how he demonstrated it, and what obstacles he had to overcome in living out that life of faith. Because my hope is that we, we too, would, what it would look, we would learn what it would look like to live lives of faith. And we would too would overcome the same obstacles he had to overcome in doing so. Hebrews eleven seven says this, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. When warned about things that hadn't happened yet, but that were gonna happen in the future. Not only one warned about something happening in the future, but something that had never happened before. The world had never seen anything like this global phenomenon that was about to happen. When warned about that, he responded not just by believing in his heart. He responded not just by verbally confessing something or saying something out loud. He responded by taking action. His life changed. His choices changed. He did something differently because of the word that God had spoken. And so we see there are times in our life where certainly we express faith through an internal belief. We express faith through the things that we declare. But there are times where what is required of us, the type of faith that God is asking of us, is a faith that does something. 
It's a faith that takes action. It's a, ta- it's a faith that, that lives differently because of the promise that God has given or the direction that God has spoken or the word um, that God has shared. We do something differently because of it. It's obedience. Obedience is an expression of faith. It says in, in Genesis 6, 22, that Noah did everything just as God commanded him. He did something. And so we too need to learn that faith is at times expressed through obedience. Now, when we read this story, I think, you know, at least for me, it can be easy to kind of gloss over the um, kind of the, the story behind the story and just think, okay, God spoke and Noah did and, and then that was it. But if we take a moment to enter into the story a little bit and think about what Noah had to overcome, what he experienced when God spoke to him something and he did something, what was it like for him? What challenges did he face in that? I think we can actually uncover quite a bit. And I believe there are two things that Noah had to overcome that we too need to overcome. And the first is the fear of man. The fear of man. Let's just start by observing this. At this time, it wasn't normal or culturally cool or acceptable to follow and obey God. It wasn't what everyone was doing. Like I just said before, the inclination was to do the very opposite. Let's look at how Noah is described. He is described in verses 9 and 10 as a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time different than the people of his time, set apart from the people of his time because he walked faithfully with God. So start to start with, he was already other than. He was already different. He already lived in a way that probably drew some attention to him, probably made him feel, you know, kind of maybe it just made him feel different than everyone else around him. It wasn't in vogue to listen to and follow God, number one. That was just kind of that's setting the stage. Number two, God asked him to do something that, was, that wasn't inconspicuous or easily concealed. It, it wasn't an easy thing to hide. You know, it's not like when, uh, you know, we're in worship and like the first time that God asks you to raise your hands and it's like you give him one of these and, you know, like, Lord, I, I praise you. And like, the, 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 listen, the lights are down low. Everyone's eyes are closed anyway. Nobody is looking at you. You may think they're looking at you. They're not looking at you. Okay, it wasn't like that. This was a radical place of obedience. This was an out loud, everyone will see it. Everyone will notice it, place of obedience. The, uh, if you look at the, um, the description, the dimensions that were given to Noah for, uh, for this ark he was to build, it's, 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits high. That's 450 feet long. That's a football field and another half of a football field. 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. That's a very obvious, a very noticeable place of faith, of obedience, which would have even drawn even more attention to him and more attention to him being other than. Number three. Noah was preparing for something that wasn't seen. He was preparing for something that had never happened before. And there was no evidence to suggest that what he was preparing for was imminent, that it was going to come to pass. Noah, why are you building a boat? It's for the rain. 
what are you talking about? What do you mean the rain? Well, the rain that's coming. Well, you know, yeah, the rain that's coming. Well, the how much rain is coming? This is a very large, very large boat. There's no evidence to suggest that what he is building for is anywhere on the horizon. There's no evidence to suggest that what he is building for will actually come to pass. He looks probably pretty foolish. And the only defense that we see in scripture that, he, that he can, he's able to give to anybody who would have questioned him as to why he is doing it. How do you, you're building for a flood? How do you know it's coming? Because God told me. That's it? That's all you got? This invisible God, which you sing, spoke to you and said, there's this flood coming. Noah didn't have a lot going for him in terms of creating a lot of acceptance, creating a, a, creating a strong argument. He wasn't like he was able to put together this very clear, defined plan and a, an argument or a case as to why he was doing made a whole lot of sense. He didn't have that. What he had was God said, and that was it. <laughs> he had God said, and he responded in faith by taking action. Now, you can imagine what it would have been like to feel other than, to be the only one, to do something that everyone sees and could make fun of you for, and to not have a lot of evidence to suggest that what you're doing really will add up or really, really come to pass. But that's what faith looks like sometimes. Sometimes faith means being the only one. Sometimes faith means doing something that others could potentially see and, and have thoughts and opinions about. Sometimes faith means doing something even when the, the evidence, evidence is not really there to support what you're doing. But you have the word of the Lord. You have what God has spoken, and that needs to be enough to take your next step. Okay? Now, that fear of man, the fear of what other people think, the fear of others' opinions and perceptions of you, that's something that I think we all need to do business with if we're going to have the type of faith that pleases God, the same type of faith that Noah had. Can I, can I be real with you for a second? Being concerned with what other people think about me is something that I have long struggled with and continue to struggle with. Like I, I have a tendency to care a lot about how I'm seen, about how I'm perceived. And I think the Lord knew this because when I first started walking with him, he asked me to take some faith steps that to a lot of people felt foolish. To a, a, a lot of people like thought like you're a, you're a weirdo. You are a Jesus weirdo is what you are. And, and I think it was less about the outcome and the byproduct of my obedience as it was God is wanting to set me free. He's wanting to set me free from what other people think. I remember the uh, first, you know, after about a year of following Jesus, I, I felt the first time he invited me to, to fast. And it was a, he wanted me to do a five-day fast from food, um, so juice and water only. And he not only wanted me to fast, but he wanted me to tell my mom about it. And my mom um, uh, it was not a believer, and as all mothers are, was very concerned that I wouldn't be nourishing Myself, she was very concerned with me not taking care of myself, and and she already thought that the whole Jesus thing was a little bit weird. But now I'm taking it to a whole nother level of you're not going to 
eat for several days. What is wrong with you? She called my brother who lived in Boston at the time and he got on the phone with me trying to persuade me and convince me that what I was doing was, I was out, outside my mind, that I completely lost it. And, and man, I don't know, maybe I was, but, the, the, but I was obeying God. I wanted, to, I wanted to obey God even if it made me look foolish. I remember the next year, I was really learning how to, to walk in partnership with Jesus and revealing his love to the world around me. And one of the ways he invited me to do that was to pray, be praying for people around our campus. And I, for a season, I felt like he said, every person you see with a cast or with crutches or with a boot or in a wheelchair, I want you to go up and talk to them and I want you to share my love with them and I want you to pray for them. And I would you know, pray for a lot of people, a lot of them obliged, but kind of like with a stink eye, like, yeah, you can pray for me, I guess, like with that kind of attitude. And, and honestly, I didn't see a lot of fruit. It wasn't like I saw all these miraculous healings and the power of God show up. It was just, I was just a 20-year-old kid just wanting to learn how to obey God. Well, I remember this one time. Uh, it was probably 8 or 9 p.m. It was been a long day. I was, I was done. I wanted to go home. I'm at the bus station on campus, and a guy walks up in a boot, and uh, and uh, on his right leg, and I said, I, I know God wants me to pray for him. So he came up. I said, hey, my name is Andy. I love Jesus. I believe he has the power to heal. Are you okay if I, I pray for you? And again, he kind of gave me like the, sure, man, whatever. And so I prayed for him, and nothing happened. And about a week later, uh, we found out that this guy worked for the school newspaper, and he wrote an article about this encounter that he had with me in the newspaper. And this wasn't the most flattering article. It wasn't like, it, it wasn't like what this, can you believe all these great things happening on our, on, the, on our campus? It was like this weirdo basically came up to me and prayed, prayed for me, and he totally um, did not, he didn't portray it accurately, and it did it in a mocking way. Thy pain and thy ankle, be healed in Jesus' name. You know, he kind of was expounding on, I didn't say it like that. Um, <laughs> But it was, I was learning to have faith and trust and obey God, even if it made me look foolish to other people. One more story. We moved out here in 2011 to plant the church. About a year after that, I was meeting up with a guy uh, over at Essence Bakery over by ASU. And we were having a conversation and it was a great conversation. We're talking and he's sharing with me about what God is doing in his heart and in his life. And all of a sudden my heart starts to race. Have you ever felt that before? You know, when you kind of sense that God's doing something or wants you to do something. And I had this sense that God was wanting me to do something bold because my, my heart was racing. Like it was going very fast. And I think the degree to which our heart beats is um, reflective of the, the step of boldness, at least it was for me, the step of boldness he wanted me to take. And I'm, I'm having a conversation with this guy, but now I'm actually beginning to have two conversations. I'm having a conversation with him, and then I'm having a conversation with God. I'm like, please don't make me do anything. I just want to have a conversation. And I sense the Lord say, I want you to stand up, and I want you to tell everyone in this restaurant that I love them and I care about them. <laughs> Are you sure that's what you want me to do? Isn't there another way? Anything else you'd like me to do? I have a few different options I can offer this that I think could, could accomplish the same thing. I, have, I was not persuasive. Uh, he was not convinced. 
And so, you know, this guy keeps talking and finally I just stop him and say, hey man, I'm sorry. Um, I feel like the Lord wants me to do something kind of crazy. Sorry about this. <laughs> I stand up and I say, hey everybody. And all of a sudden the room goes, Shh. and I'm like, hi, I'm Andy. I just want you to know Jesus loves you, cares about you so much. If anybody needs prayer for anything, my friend and I are here. I pulled him in. <laughs> We're here. We love to pray for you. That's it. See ya. And I sat, sat down. And um, I sit down. I mean, um, my face is red. My palms are sweating. My everything is sweating. And... <laughs> The guy, my friend's like, that was awesome. I'm like, dude, that was not awesome. I feel like such a loser. And, but, and truthfully, no one came over. No one came over to pray with us. The guy next to me, the guy next to us says, hey, can I buy you a cup of coffee? I think he felt bad for me, honestly. I think he did. <laughs> but you know what? It wasn't about the outcome. It wasn't about, it wasn't about the, a salvation story or a healing it was about me needing to learn that faith is obedience no matter what it looks like to other people. It means to me, me being needed to be delivered from the fear of man. The fear of my, how I'm perceived, the fear of losing my reputation, of, of having an image in someone's head or someone's mind that is not what I would want it to be. Listen, uh, this is what it says in, in Proverbs. And this is so important for us to get. Proverbs 29, 25. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Fear of man is a snare. It is a trap because what you want me to do over there to make you happy is different than what you want me to do over there to make you happy. I can't make everybody happy all at the same time. It is a snare because if I let you dictate how I live, then I am enslaved to you and I have to do whatever you want me to do to make you happy. It is a trap and it is a snare because it's a game that never ends. Once I get you to like me, then I have to keep doing things to get you to like me and on and on and on. And we need to be delivered from the fear of man. I'll share this last thing. This is, I've gotten a lot of mileage out of this. I, I hope that it's helpful for you. When, when I'm struggling with being concerned about what other people think about me, what I remember is at the end of my life, I'm not gonna be standing in front of any of you. I love you, but I'm not gonna have to answer to you. I love my family, but I'm not gonna have to answer to my family. I, I love those I look up to, but I'm not gonna answer to them. At the end of my life, I will have to give an account for the quality of my character and the choices that I made to an audience of one. And his name is Jesus. I will only have to stand before him. And so if we are gonna live lives of faith, we need to begin aligning ourselves with that truth here and now. That at the end, it's not gonna matter what anyone else thought about me or what other people's evaluations were of my performance or how well I spoke or how bold I was or how successful I was in life. What's gonna count is, did I live a life that was pleasing to him? God, I, oh, how I long for that, that I would stand at the end and hear Jesus say, I'm pleased with how you lived. I'm pleased with your life. Your life was pleasing to me. Let that set us free today 
from allowing, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to be liked. There's nothing wrong to wanting to have a good name, but it's when we allow that to have so much power and so much authority that it dictates the choices we make. At the end of the day, he sits on the throne, no one else. The first thing he had to overcome was the fear of man. And the second thing he had to overcome was time. Just the challenge that comes with time, with delayed answers, with, with outcomes that don't happen immediately. When you look at the magnitude of what he was asked to build, when you, when you look at the, this context of the, of the story in which the instructions were given, scholars believe between 70 to 80 years between the time he received the word from God and the time the flood came. 70 to 80 years. That's a lifetime. That is a long obedience. That is a long obedience. It's a long time to stay in the game and continue to act and continue to believe and continue to trust and continue to obey and not see fruit from it. And not only that, but once the, the flood came, most people think oh, I was 40 days and 40 nights and then it was over. No, it wasn't that fast. It was 40 days and 40 nights of rain, but then there was the water from underneath the earth, the water rose, the water receded, all said and done. He was in the boat for about a year. About one year of his life was given to just just waiting for the eventual re recession of water, the eventual reinstatement of, of the covenant. Time is a test for us because it, it will make us believe that the thing that God has spoken won't happen. But church, remember, just because he hasn't yet doesn't mean that he won't. And in that gap, in that space between promise given, promise fulfilled, and the space between assignment taken and outcome seen, that's where our faith is tested. And we need to persist. We need to have a resilient faith, a persistent faith, a steadfast faith that does not change. It does not stop. It does not quit, even when the answers are a long time coming. We, come, we become so accustomed to same-day delivery. Right, I just ordered something yesterday and I got it the same day. We want same day delivery or deliverance, same day breakthrough, same day outcome. But with God, it, it hardly ever works that way. Our faith, it matures. Our faith is tested. Our faith is completed as we stand in the gap between promise given, promise fulfilled, and we continue to obey the last thing he spoke. Noah went all in. You know, he didn't have an exit strategy. He didn't have a plan B. He didn't have a safety valve. For him, faith was a lack of options. He said, I'm giving my whole life to this, my whole family. We are dedicating ourselves to what God spoke and we're not turning back. He expressed his faith through obedience, even when he was the only one even when it, when it was radical and even when there was no evidence to suggest that what he was doing would happen. And he hung in there even when the answer was a long time coming. That's the type of faith that's commended in the Bible. That's the type of faith that pleases God. 
And that's the type of faith he wants us to have as well. Why don't you pray with me? God, we're thankful today for the example from scripture. The example that we see in Noah's life. A man who pleased you with his trust. He pleased you with his obedience. And we want to learn from his example. We want to be like Noah was, who was commended. We want to walk out in obedience as he did, even in the face of criticism. We want to do it because we want to live for the audience of one. We want to live for the audience of one. Would you help us today? That's not something that we can muster up and do on our own. That is only what you can provide through the strength and the courage of your spirit at work in us. You give us the spirit of boldness. You give us a a spirit of self-control. You give us a spirit of faith. And so we ask for it now. Holy Spirit, would you be active in in our hearts as we respond? That we would not leave this place just having heard a message, but will you leave this place with a greater commitment to say, I will do and I will live according to the word of the Lord. We pray in your name. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? And as you're standing, I want to invite our our ministry team forward. And we have an opportunity to respond here. And I think there are three different areas I would encourage you to respond to. The first is in the area of the fear of man. If you, as like me, feel like you struggle with the being so concerned and preoccupied with the opinions of others and you know that that's keeping you from following God in the way that you know he wants you to, I encourage you to come forward and invite our team to into that journey and to pray with you. The second is in the area of obedience. Some of you may already have something you're carrying and you know God is asking you to obey. Some of you may, actually God may want to give you an obedience step here and now. Regardless, we want you to, everyone to leave with this feeling of, I know what my faith is gonna look like this week. My, my faith is gonna look like me taking action in this area. And so I'd love for you to come forward and, and to allow our team to partner with you in that. And the final thing is for those who have had a promise and haven't seen it come to pass yet. It feels like the promise is a long time coming or you haven't seen the outcome and you're getting weary and growing discouraged because you're not sure if it's gonna happen. And we wanna be here to encourage you, to help you, to strengthen you, to be persistent in believing, persistent in trusting, even as you wait for God to fulfill. And of course, if there's anything else, We love you. We care about you. We're here for you. Anything else you need, anything else you need prayer for, any encouragement that you would find helpful, we want to be here to stand in that place to love you, to help you and encourage you. But let's respond together as our team leads us.